Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. This is Meep, also better known as Mary Pat Campbell. I'm a life actuary and today I'm talking tech and tech adoption, technology adoption and particularly my personal technology adoption. I'm both an early and a late adopter, which some people know about already and some people find strange. So yes, obviously I'm a geek and I can't say I come from a long line of geeks because it's really just before me, my father, who was an electrical engineering major at Clemson University before me. And he was definitely a prototypical geek and had a slide roll and all of that jazz and used um, punch cards at Clemson when he was there in the 1970s, in the 1980s when he was working at IBM. He got, uh, with his employee discount, an IBM PC when it came out in 1982. And me, as an eight-year-old kid, went to town on the computer, though my father didn't want me to touch it, um, and tried to get me off of that by buying me a Commodore VIC-20. Uh, <laughs> a few years later, it had a cassette tape drive. But uh, So that gives you an idea of some of the early technology adoption that's been in my life. And, you know, when I was for my eighth birthday in 1982, my dad um, got me a basic programming book as, for my birthday present, and I loved it. I taught myself basic programming. Um, that's the basic programming language. Sorry, that's not meaning the skill level. Um, I taught myself to program basic and then later I learned Pascal at CTY and I learned Fortran and C and C++ and Perl and APL2 and Lisp and I know a lot of programming languages as you can tell. Um, so yeah, I'm a geek, a computer geek, um, and I've done all sorts of tech stuff, which is why if you don't know me personally, Actually, this may surprise people either way. I just bought my first smartphone two weeks ago. And you're like, um, what? Yeah, well, okay, I've bought smartphones before, but they were for my kids. Uh, and then Stuart has had smartphones. Like when iPhone came out, he got himself an iPhone. And he had those, what, what did they call them? The PDAs um, or whatever, the personal digital assistants when those came out. He's always like an Apple fanboy uh, getting the stuff as it came out, but um, not me. So what was that about? What was I doing all this time? Well, I did have a cell phone. I had a flip phone uh, all these years uh, deliberately. Yeah, I knew about smartphones and everybody else uh, was using them. Uh, so what pushed me over the cliff to finally get a smartphone was my own a geek child. Um, and yes, all three of my children are geeks of various sorts, uh, went off to college. And yeah, having a flip phone, it was, it was getting to be a challenge in terms of like, I was trying to see how long I could keep going 
uh, and a function in the modern world with my flip phone. And I, I could, uh, I had gadgets, you know, I had a Kindle, I had an iPod mini, which they don't make anymore. Um, and it was operating on Wi-Fi, and I could do all sorts of things with that. But I wanted to be able to communicate with my daughter while she was at college. Um, and she's majoring in video game design, so that gives you an idea. So that's why I got my first uh, smartphone, and I got myself an iPhone 13 mini. I like the smaller ones. I don't like the big phones. Um, so I did adopt the current technology but why was i avoiding smartphones all these years and it's my attitude towards technology and that's what's in it for me um i'm going to go back to a prior job i was in where they offered blackberries for free to people who were in management and i was and I would not take it. Everybody else took the Blackberry, but I did not. And it was amusing. Like, oh, but why won't you take the Blackberry? And I had, I had my flip phone, a prior version of the flip phone. And I'm like, no, this is not for me. This is for the convenience of the company. I get nothing out of it. Oh, but you can do this. No, because if they gave me the Blackberry, then the assumption would be I'm infinitely reachable, that it was going to be on their terms. And so now I want you to think about all the different communication technologies that are out there and the expectations, the social expectations that come along with it and the impositions they have caused. And this has been a disruption in communication technologies throughout the years. I just go back to mail once upon a time with mail. And this is before stamps, the recipient, like in the United Kingdom, the recipient of the piece of mail had to pay for it. And that's why it was a big thing. If you knew a member of parliament who could frank the mail, which meant it, you received it for free. And then why it was such a big innovation to have postage stamps in which the person who sent the mail <laughs> paid for it. Can you imagine, you know, what an imposition it was that, you know, you received a piece of mail and you had to pay to receive it. And therefore you would see in old letters, you know, people would try to be thrifty as possible and they would do something called crossing their letters. And I've try to read some of them where they would write across the letter front and back and then they would rotate the piece of paper 90 degrees and then write across so it was like making a grid with the letters so that's one piece of communication now let's jump forward to the telephone Stuart's granny used to call that thing the devil's trumpet um, and think about it because it's basically when the rings would be loud, you know, and you're supposed to answer it. It's a demand on you. And at the time, of course, and Stuart's grandmother, so let's think about Stuart. Stuart's older than me, so he's um, currently uh, 61. And his mother 
was of, you know, a group of, I think, about 10 children. And she was of the group of the younger of the children. And uh, so her mother must have been. Okay, anyway, his granny was born in the 1800s. So that's just to say. So the telephone was relatively new to her when she got it down in Clinton, South not Clinton, North Carolina, sorry. And those rings were loud. And of course, you didn't own the telephone back then. The telephone company did. You didn't know who was calling. And so you had to pick it up when it came. And maybe it was party line, <laughs> you know, who was calling and was it even for you? Uh, it was very insistent. That's very rude. So if you called, it had better be important. And to think about it, people don't like phone calls now, but at least when you get a phone call, usually you know who is calling. Though, I screen all my calls. And if you're an unlisted number, or if you block your phone number from getting through, yeah, I might not pick it up. So that's why a lot of people text before they call so that we know if you have an un, you know, if you block your number from going through and that kind of thing, I know it's you who's calling. So that is all to say, the smartphone wasn't of interest to me. I didn't want to carry around something that was tracking my location 24-7. When I had my flip phone, half the time it was completely dead. Um, half the time I didn't know where I had left it. You know, I was using it for the two-factor authentication that I have to use to get into the VPN for work. I was using it for all sorts of things where I had to use for texting and this, that, and the other. I was mainly using it for texting. And I used it on a prepaid basis, and it's very cheap. So it was not an imposition on me, that flip phone. So now I have the smartphone, and I'm in that network. <laughs> I'm in the modern world now. But I know I have my various encrypted apps. I'm in the Apple uh, world, as it were. And yeah, that's very pricey. So that's an imposition. But, you know, I made my choice. And uh, Stuart's in the Apple. Uh, we're in the Apple world. And, uh, you know, choosing the apps we like and are useful to us. So now I start going through the apps that I know exist and are useful to me. So one that I just picked up yesterday that I knew existed because uh, we got it when Stuart would go shopping in the Japanese grocery store in White Plains called Dido. Uh, the Google Translate app, which you can put on your phone and you know, I it's in Android and in Apple. Obviously it's in Android, but since it's Google and it you can use it with your phone. And so amusingly with uh, Japanese text. <laughs> so Japanese text, if you're familiar with it, there are three different parts of the text. There's hiragana, which is the traditional Japanese phonetic uh, alphabet, as it were. So atye, ueo, kakekukeko, all of that. Then there's the katakana, which is used for like, which is also phonetic. It's the same phonemes as hiragana. However, it's used for like, it's similar to emphasis, like italics or bold. It's used for foreign words. It's used for, you know, all sorts of things like that. Um, 
special things. And then there are the ideograms of the kanji. And those are difficult. So the issue is someone shared a picture with me of the re-weighing in of sumo wrestlers. And you knew I had to work sumo in somehow. And people new to this, I'm a big sumo fan. And there is a tournament coming up in a couple weeks, uh, the September, the Aki, the fall tournament uh, in Tokyo. And uh, they did a weigh-in. So I had redone my height weight scatter plot of the top wrestlers the problem was the weights hadn't been updated they were still the july weights and i knew there were some big differences because some of the wrestlers who had been injured had lost weight um and we could see that in the summer tours they had been doing and i people were complaining about the graph and saying oh the weights are wrong and i'm like well i don't have the new weights yet well it was published in the the nikon sports the daily sports in japan but it's in japanese and i'm like okay and, and then i'm like well i can do google translate i do know how to read some japanese i just am not fully fluent in reading that's the hardest part of learning the japanese language is the reading part the reading and writing part so i try the app so this picture which i'll share with you in the show notes has the heights and weights in centimeters and kilograms and then in parentheses shows how much the weight changed in kilograms since the july tournament or since the july weigh-in and the thing is all the way to the left is and it's like east and west and all the way to the left is the ranking and it's in the bonzake order and the bonzake is the official sumo ranking um, but it has the official ranking and I can read these characters. So I'm used to this like Yokozuna Ozeki, but even so, these are fairly easy, especially the counting numbers. Um, though there is something special for Migashira 1, but like 2, 3, 4, 5, you might be able to uh, recognize these uh, 11, 12, etc. It's 16 and it goes up to Migashira 17. Um, but then in these black you know, black, it's kind of rectangle. They have their Shikona or their ring names in there. Um, and it's kind of stylized, but some of the characters I know pretty well, and you may have seen these, uh, no, which is just a slash, a Yama, which is mountain. Um, and these are fairly simple characters. Oh, which means big or large, um, amount that's, pretty simple um let's see there's gain uh that's uh, gold there's um taka just tall or high and so i've already know some of these kita which is north um so some of these are already new pretty well but others not as well or umi which is ocean um so if i use google translate Sometimes it translates, depending on how I hold it, okay, it will give me the actual name they use, like Terano Fuji or Kurishima, but sometimes it will give me the literal translation, like instead of Taka Keisho, it will say Great Eisho. So I'm trying to get um, some of the, <laughs> the uh, Gonoyama, which is the name and i'm trying to get it to to um 
Yeah, I'm trying to get it to flip to the literal translations, but this is the thing. It does flip to the proper name like Ozeki Kirishima as opposed to the literal translations. It will give you the literal translations first rather than the name. So now I'm getting Kodonawaka. I'm getting um, who the wrestlers are. You get to know, like, so Green Fuji is Midori Fuji. Midori is green. Um, they have, okay, the heaviest weight. And if you know, Great Flight. Who is the heaviest big flight? Is that Ono Show? Let's see. It's O. I think that's Ono Show. Oh, no, it's Dai Shoho. And then it's swords. <laughs> anyway, some of these get to be kind of funny. Takayasu is there. Um, let's see. Somebody Yama. Shonan Umi. I, I know that one. And it says Shonan C. So Umi is C. And you get to know your Japanese. Um, so it's an interesting way you can use this technology to... So I'm learning some of the... So I'm learning... So I know Umi. I'm learning Umi. Oh, there's Takayasu. I see that now. Um, so I know Taka already. Uh, but I'm, I've been learning the kanji more and more. Okay. So one of the things that I do like using technology for, and I have for a long time, is learning. Um, so communication, learning, those are two things that I like using technology for. Um, other things are for organization and for, I would say, memory or, you know, getting information. And, and of course, that's what a lot of us uh, use this for. So I want to talk about two other pieces of technology that I recently adopted and have been using a lot of. So one is called Lex, L-E-X. So like Lex, L-E-X dot A-I, I believe is the site. Let me make sure. Okay, no, that was the wrong uh, website. Um, I go to lex.page. Let me see what the home... I go to lex.page, but I have an account. Um, I'm, I'm trying to see what what I would do to share... Maybe it is lex.ai. Let's go to lex. Um, maybe it is lex.page. Okay, so lex.page, if you don't have an account, that would be the front page for it. I don't think you need invites anymore to start an account there. And it's kind of for uh, text documents, and I've used this quite a bit. It's supposed to be for writers. And yeah, there's some, some generative AI in there, and it's supposed to help you get past writer's block, supposedly. But that's not what I've used it for. Um, it does have some things to help you generate more text. I've helped it, used it to help um, rewrite sentences. And I've done that before, but I've used Grammarly for that as well. And I've been using Grammarly for years. Uh, and Grammarly has AI embedded in it now. Everybody embeds AI. It's the thing. It's the thing right now. Um, so that's not the unique part. So the thing that I've used Lex for, and I'll just tell you, I'll write something like in Word or whatever. It doesn't matter 
what it is. And then I'll just copy paste the entire document into Lex and I'll use Lex to generate subtitles and titles for the pieces. Now I haven't done that for the blog mainly because I'm very straightforward in how I deal with the blog. Um, I try to keep it simple in terms of titles so that you know what you're getting into when you are uh, getting into a blog post. I, you know, I used to be a lot more cutesy in the titles, but now I'm just going like, I want people to know what they're getting into. And I also want to make it easier for me to search to find the specific post I'm looking for. So I'll use the, the title of the post to say this is what the post is about and then if there's a question or a main takeaway of the post i try to put it in the subtitle in the substack post because i'm not doing clickbait i'm not trying to make money or a lot of money i mean i am making some money but it's very minimal for me um, from the blog um, but you know i'm trying to make it easy for me to find what it is you know who what when where why how uh, very top level in the title and subtitle. And I know how to do that uh, with title and subtitle. But with other pieces that I write, I'm not very great at coming up with non-wonky, non-boring you know, titles. So I like using AI to come up with more interesting titles or things that aren't so clunky. So I will put it into Lex and say, can you come up with 10 title ideas for this piece. And I did that for something at work once and then asked my um, colleagues, which of these 10 do you like the best? And we went with the one, the consensus answer of which we like the best for the title. That's what, that's how I use Lex. I like very targeted use of AI. ChatGPT has not really done it for me. I have used ChatGPT to generate like simple quiz questions for fun throwaway items because I'm not very good at coming up with easy quiz questions, but damn chat GPT can really do easy quiz questions. Um, so for stupid stuff, chat GPT is your thing. Um, but uh, for very targeted use of AI, and in the case for Lex, I use it to generate titles and subtitles for me for things that I'm writing for other aspects where I don't have other humans at hand. Um, then the last one I want to talk about is Otter. Uh, and a lot of people have been using Otter, so maybe they don't need the boost, but Otter, O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. And it's like, it's like my little assistant. It goes to Zoom meetings for me, um, but it also comes with me to Zoom. Um, and of course, it does transcribe uh, the Zoom meetings I'm on. So uh, it basically records the meeting. So that's not a big thing. Makes an audio transcription. That's also not a big thing. A lot of audio transcription things are out there. And I'll be talking about one last one at the end of this podcast. Um, but what has been very helpful for me because I do a lot of volunteering for like the American Academy of Actuaries and another group I'm on, which is the Insurance Collaboration to Save Lives. More on that in a future podcast episode. Um, 
that we have a lot of coordination issues and I like having a record that I can search. And so these having these transcripts helps me, you know, have a searchable record. It takes screenshots. Uh, and in many cases, we have been sharing slides, but also sharing our screens and discussing what's on our screens. Um, so having these screenshots is helpful and I can go back into the record. Um, it will make an automatic outline with timestamps. It will pull out keywords. Uh, now, obviously, it is not perfect. This is not a human doing this. This is automated. Um, but I can go back. I can tag speakers. It learns who the speakers are. It knows my voice, obviously. Um, but it has learned other speakers' voices. I have convinced other people to pick up Otter. So now it's learned a lot of our voices. I have edited it because, of course, it doesn't know a lot of our technical terms when you first start out, like GAP, which means generally um, accepted accounting practices. It will do it as the regular word GAP, G-A-P, as opposed to the capital letters G-A-A-P, um, and that sort of thing. So I do have to go back in initial runs. And if I want it to be a very good transcript, I have to go and edit it. But most of the time, that's not what I need. I need something that is searchable. The way I use technology has been very different from the way a lot of people do. I have mentioned this multiple times. I don't delete email. And people are like, blah, 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 blah. And going like, well, memory is cheap. Now it's cheap. Um, and I've been willing to pay for storage because I need information. I need usable information. I need to be able to search my email. I have important information. Now, I don't have all the tools I need yet to take my specially curated files, as it were, of all of the interactions I've had with the world and with other people and with the internet and whatever. You know, a lot of people, oh, I don't want people. Well, okay, I understand that. But a lot of the stuff I have is very information rich and I don't want to lose that information. I use the internet. I use um, a lot of these tools. I use email. I use my Dropbox. I use my site actuarial.news. Unfortunately, not as well as I could, but that's because it's still kind of clunky. I want better tools for me to annotate the internet, as it were, the way I want to. And if anyone has tools for me to do that, um, that I can better clip and don't tell me OneNote and don't tell me uh, Evernote. I know about those. Um, I want to do it in a certain way and um, Evernote and OneNote don't do it for me the way I want it to. Uh, so anyway, I we can talk, but maybe I'm not using these tools to their optimal use. And that's fine because the last time I used some of these, OneNote I use I still do use, it's just I'm not happy with the way it interacts with me now. Uh, in any case, um, moving on, I'm trying to build up connections. So I'm basically trying to make my brain external of my skull, if you get that. And um, because what's out there is much bigger than what's in here. 
and I would like it to be more effective. So moving on from that, there's one last piece of technology that I have not tried yet. And this podcast is part of that experiment. Substack announced this week that they have implemented an AI. I mean, some of this AI stuff, yes, I understand it's just marketing terms, but to transcribe these podcasts when I upload it, that it will generate a transcript. Okay. I could already do that. I could have tried it with Otter. I could have tried it with Dragon Speak, which I have access to, and some other tools I have. Um, but also some other assets that I am not going to describe yet because I have not tried them out yet, but I will play with them. And if it gets me what I want, then yes, I will adopt them. Because for me, technology is always about what's in it for me. And if it doesn't do what I want it to do, or it doesn't get me what I want to get, I'm not doing this for status. I'm not doing this because like, hey, all the cool kids are doing it. I have particular, I'm a goal oriented person. And if it doesn't get me towards my goals, I'm not going to do it. So have a good weekend. That's been Stump, Death and Taxes. I'll talk to y'all another time. And not through the devil's trumpet. Bye!